Welcome to FIFA America. Today we are reacting and breaking down the U.S. men's national team 1-0 victory over El Salvador. And we need to talk a little bit about how that makes us feel going into Canada. So we'll get to that at the tail end of the episode. As always, I'm joined by Tom and Ryan. We are, I don't know what you would call us. Are we the pod pod squad or we're just making videos now? We love the U.S. men's national team. We love U.S. soccer. Um <laughs> And we're going to talk about this game. So, guys, how are you doing? How are you feeling after last night? Had a few hours now to digest it, let it sink in. Feeling good. You know, it's the first step to nine points. That's going to be kind of my mantra throughout all of this this window is that's the expectation. I think we need to stick to it. So it wasn't as pretty as maybe a lot of people wanted it to be. But at the end of the day, I'm going to be happy with the results. And, you know, we can... We can go down the line and think and talk about kind of later what we think we could change going into the Canada game to see if we can get the same result. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's, I'm sort of in a very weird state of mind where I'm not sure what to think. On one hand, we got the three points. That's all I really want, no matter how it looks. And also, it was a statistically dominant performance. And, you know, I can't be too mad about a performance where you dominate like they did. But the scoreline and the individual player performances just left me wanting. And, you know, I felt like it could have been better. It was like a missed opportunity for us to really solidify a confident team. So, I don't know. (laughs) Shrugs. Lots of shrugs. Ryan, are you telling yourself that you're happy with the three points because that's a mental game you're playing to try and make yourself feel better? Or are you genuinely, like, feeling pretty good after this win? So, no, I am genuinely happy with getting three points. I think we could have easily finished halftime at 2 nothing, And then if we're looking at this at the end of the day as a 3 nothing win, then people are walking out saying this was convincing, it was a much better result. And we were close to getting that. We'd like to start seeing them finish those out. But, you know, in the end, I think that's something, it's another step to getting closer to our ultimate goal. So, yeah, overall, I am happy with it. Yeah. And Tom, as our resident stack guy, how... How convincing were the stats that we dominated this game? It was 17 shots to six shots. It was 65% possession to 35% possession. It was 2.98 expected goals to 0.2. Single game expected goals is not the most reliable stat ever, but that's not the case when you win the expected goals battle by almost three goals. That was a dominant performance that on most nights we walk away from feeling very good about ourselves, but we just didn't finish the chances and it feels a lot worse because of it. I mean, Eunice Musa had a great ball that should never have been saved. West McKinney, Jossie Zardes both missed headers that I don't think they normally miss. I, Jesus Ferrer had two chances that I would be shocked if he missed on a 50 degree day. So, or on a day where he'd been playing regularly. So we got in good positions. We got the ball. We were wanted to get it, get it. We just didn't put the ball in the back of the net. And I think we started to press and feel a little bit frustrated by that. And it caused us to really fall apart, even though statistically we dominated. So let's talk a little bit about those moments then. Ryan, can you take us through what you thought were kind of the most dangerous points of the game? Yeah. So actually, it seemed like El Salvador really got off to a hot start. They kind of had the first opportunity to put the U.S. under threat that I had of note in the sixth minute. And I was impressed with Sergio Des, you know, being on his toes at the back post. Uh, El Salvador played a ball out wide to Alex Roldan, and he cut it back across. And if if, if Sergio would have been sleeping on the back post, that's a golden opportunity for El Salvador, but he was able to break it up just in time. So I, th- I thought it was a good start for Serginho to see him, you know, on his toes, ready to play, considering he hasn't been playing a ton of minutes with Barcelona. Um, and then another thing that I thought was interesting, if you go back and watch, you can see in the seventh minute, even when El Salvador has the ball, that it, you could see that Wea gesturing to Greg Berhalter, kind of wondering, like, where am I supposed to press? Cause he's kind of stuck in between two people. So it was interesting to see them try to get that fixed and to see that as, you know, an opportunity that we could have had exploited, but at least had good communication so we could get that ironed out. And then in the 19th minute, another, we had just actually gotten a foul towards our box. And then we're, this is when we swung the ball across Adams ends up getting it on the left-hand side, plays the ball through to Musa and he crosses it over to Dest. Dest brings it down the right-hand side and puts the ball front post to Wea flicked it on and Jesus puts it over the top. So that was the one little bit. Jesus had one opportunity before that 
but the that one was kind of from a short sharp angle so for him just to fire it over the top wasn't too bad i don't think so and then it was really most of the big scoring opportunities in the first half in the 30th minute too uh you know i thought it was interesting you can see Wea goes down and when the ball ends up when the ref ends up calling the foul it's still all the way down at the ball the way down to tyler adams did you guys notice that Tyler Adams literally kicks the ball back at Timothy Weah? Was that something anybody else noted? Like boots it right back at him. And I don't know if that's like to get up or stay down. What's the message there? The message there was that the ref was not playing advantage. He didn't play a single advantage until the 75th minute, <laughs> which I noted in the podcast Discord server, uh, in the FIFA America Discord server, because I was so angry at that point that he'd not called a single advantage the rest of the match. The ref definitely did not allow. Like yeah, there was, so it, it was. I, of... I was surprised. I was surprised to see he didn't have any cards. Yeah, because I, I, I think specifically like Richards. Richards had four or five fouls in the game. So and he was able to get out of there without a card, which was you know pretty nice. I, I think Richards didn't get a card because he hadn't given a card to El Salvador yet for their tactical fouls. Yeah. El Salvador had True. like 11 of their 13 fouls in the first half <laughs> trying to break up our transition play and none of them were carded it to, to my mind in refereeing like it doesn't necessarily matter that one player is the person fouling if you're collectively as a team fouling over and over again at the same transition point for the other team then at some point you need to card someone to warn them or the team and I think if he had done that then Chris Richards probably would have deserved a yellow in my eyes, but the ref wasn't allowing any, not only was he not allowing advantage, he was not allowing any play to go on. If there was a semblance of a trip, I remember the Walker Zimmerman foul where he won the ball on a 50, 50, like he, the ref was just not allowing any play to go on. All right. Then what happens, Ryan? <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry. I, uh, we, that, if we get to halftime, so I wasn't sure if we were still going there or, if, if you guys had did you want to say more stuff out, about it i mean i've got a few other points mainly just getting to the 52nd minute of where we end up scoring uh so that was kind of after that the game really kind of broke down it was kind of funny to me that even taylor twelman talked about it was really after the 68th minute that you know you could really see a difference in the play out there it was like oh you mean when you sub in jordan morris for even though pulisic wasn't playing amazing like there's going to be a difference in the style of play and so when you have changes like that in the lineup to expect such a smooth transition, it was just kind of funny to me of like, of course, there's going to be, you know, some time for them to gel. So, yeah, after the, the goal in the 52nd minute, it all kind of fell apart. If anything, I felt pretty nervous towards the end of the game. That would be another reason why I feel like getting out of there with three points. The last 20 minutes didn't have me like super comfortable. I mean, did you guys yeah. feel like we saw it out well or did it, you know, or were you guys nervous too? I'm glad you asked the question because uh, so when Brendan Aronson came in for Christian Pulisic, I still felt like we were on the front foot. We were the better team. When we subbed in Jordan Morris and Giassi Zardes, this isn't a slight to them, but we were just off again. And El Salvador was kind of pushing for the goal. One, one thing that I want to talk about, and I'm glad you asked, is because the... When a ball went out of bounds and we were trying to see out the game or we were fouled, sometimes we were trying to take throw-ins quickly or take our free kicks quickly. It, I, I think that was a show of our inexperience and our, our youth that we don't necessarily know how to manage the game as well as we should. When there's 10 minutes left and you're 1-0 up, yeah, it would have been great to be 2 or 3-0 up, but you're trying to see out the game to get three points you don't need to take a quick throw-in. You can waste 30 seconds on a throw-in easily. Um, and we weren't necessarily doing that. So I did get nervous because El Salvador had some chances to get higher up the field. And it didn't seem like our team had a um, a concern for wasting time or, or trying to see out the game. Yeah. It definitely felt like we weren't sort of playing that ending part of the game very well at all. I didn't really think we did a good job conca-capping. We didn't seem to sort of have any coherence at all. Zardes and Morris looked like rusty players who hadn't played a competitive match in a while. We didn't allow any expected goals to be generated, though. 
So we only allowed 0.6 XG in the last 30 minutes of the game, which is 0.06 XG, which is non-existent. We only managed to generate 0.25, though, and most of that came on the Zardes header. So it was just a really poor, sloppy end to a game that was rough. I imagine that 0.06 is the header from El Salvador. Um, That's kind of like a glancing header in the last few minutes. Yeah, Yeah, that, again, that could have... I mean, it wasn't an easy shot, but knowing our luck, that could have gone top left corner and sealed a <laughs> one point. Yeah, yeah. So, how'd you guys how'd you guys feel about Turner then? If if we're speaking of goalkeepers, did he do the job for you? He kept himself warm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, he he did what he needed to do in goal. He didn't need to make any saves, to to my knowledge. Um, you can tell though that he's at least trying to improve his distribution and to his credit he didn't have any wildly like highlight reel passes but he was very good in possession he bypassed the attacking line of el salvador a few times to get it directly to a midfielder for the u.s so i can at least see that there's a lot of improvement there from where he was a year ago i'm okay with that but like in this game the goalkeeper position is not where i'm looking to like pick out the issues or, or see what we need to do better. Yeah, we could have put yeah, Fisher and Roldan back there we see... still tie. Or... <laughs> Probably. I just thought it was interesting to see that I thought his distribution was better than some people may think. So, I mean, it, oh, yeah, he, no. he completed six of eight of his long balls. So, yeah, it was, yeah. It was good for him. Yeah, yeah. I marked He's during the match that his, his, his distribution was better than I'd seen it before. So, I, I, I was happy with that. It's not Stefan level, but it doesn't have to be. It was it was fine for a CONCACAF match. Yeah. Now, my next question for you guys is, he is, so right before the game, Stu Holden uh, put out a tweet that said Arsenal and the New England Revs are, are um, finalizing a deal for Matt Turner. And then in the post-game press conference, Greg said twice that he's going to Arsenal. Um, so it seems like it's a pretty done deal if he needs to go have a physical or sign the paperwork do we go do we have a a world where we live a parallel universe where sean johnson is in goal and gaga slanina is our backup keeper that could feasibly happen in the next two games yeah oh yeah (laughs) it could happen I, i don't i this is a summer transfer it shouldn't need to happen right if the paperwork's done already it, it should, they should need to just do the medical over the summer and everything. He shouldn't need to leave camp for this. But, you know, well, I'm not terribly unhappy with Sean Johnson as a play against Honduras. If they need to sign the paperwork, he probably needs to have a medical. And even if he's moving in the summer, the transfer window closes for registration on January 31st. So, again, I don't know all the rules deep down, but that seems like there's a very good possibility he could potentially play versus Canada and then jump right over to England. I think I'm with Tom, though. I think we could get through, hopefully get through Honduras with with Sean John back there. It, if we play like we did last night, Sean Johnson's yeah. not going to have a lot to do. <laughs> Although Honduras yeah, looked I mean, dangerous just... last night. If, if you watched their game against Canada, they pinged a couple off the bar. Albert Elise was causing problems. They are not a team who's going to put up 2.2 expected goals like El Salvador did. They score more than El Salvador does. They have a, a bit scarier of an attacking line. And Albert Ellis for me is like one, two. Now that Alfonso Davies isn't with Canada, it's kind of like Tejon Buchanan, Jonathan David, and Albert Ellis are the people we need to shut down in the next few games to make sure we get the nine points from the window. Don't sleep on Kyle Laren too. That's true. That's true. Turkish league legend. I, I believe he's. Yeah, well, he scored against us in the last match, right? He was the goal scorer for Canada. Yeah, he did. Okay, you know how do you, how do you guys feel do... about Dest taking so much time off? Like ha- having not played in a while, coming back and looking for the U.S. Um, I don't know. Dest Dest looked pretty good to me. He he did wasn't perfect, but I noted his defense was his defensive work rate was a lot higher than I normally see. He was pressing high up the field. He was trying to win the ball back. He was going into challenges. He made a great play at the back post early in the game. I do think his service is still very poor, but you know, you could see the sauce was there and you could see his combination play in possession really well as well. Just got to get a better yeah. cross. 
I do think you could tell El Salvador was trying to isolate him one-on-one -on -one with the attacker. Every time they switched fields, it was to the player that was... I don't think that was Alex Roldan. That was the person on the other side of the field. But yeah, they were definitely trying to isolate him one-on-one -on -one in defense, and he did well, and he was always in the right position. I will agree with Tom that his, his crossing wasn't great, but at the same time, it was from his cross that Jesus Ferreira missed that open goal um, or somewhat open goal. So it wasn't all bad. He had some, some good opportunities to get forward. And I think having Timothy Weah on that side where when Dest was higher up the field than Timothy Weah and Timothy Weah was sprinting back when the ball was lost, that was kind of like a Dest had to, or else it would look bad. And if there's <laughs> one thing I'm starting to learn about Sergino Dest is he cares about optics so we need someone <laughs> on the field, like making him look bad, and then he'll he'll play even harder. That's a choice takeaway. Nice, yeah. <laughs> I I saw I was impressed with Dest. There were so many times that I noted watching the game again that I would see Dest releases Wea in behind. Dest releases Wea in behind. Dest plays a nice ball to Wea in behind. They were stretching El Salvador by using Tim Wea to get in behind, and Dest was playing a lot of those passes. It was. So really nice to see that link-up play and see Dex recognize that that space was there and play someone into it. What did you guys think of Timothy Weah's performance? I was pretty impressed overall by him. You you could tell, you know, he really settled into the game quickly uh, after, you know, like I said, he was trying to figure out defensively what his, his responsibilities were. Um, you could see a lot of times him getting into space, him using his speed, looking fully fit, like kind of like Tom said, really working both sides of the field. And he throughout all of qualifying has been responsible for creating, if not scoring himself, but creating the goal. Like the goal last night really comes from a ball in behind Timothy way beating two players and then, you know, shooting close range and like getting at least the deflection spilled out up front, but without, you know, someone as creative as him, then that play doesn't even, even happen. It's, that's what scares me when you hear, you know, Berhalter making comparisons between players when there's clearly levels to our, our players. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I thought Tim Way played pretty well. He was really dangerous getting him behind, stretching the defense. He combined well, linked up with McKenney and Dest. He got into the box a few different times. Unfortunately, everything he really did in the box got deflected. I, I thought he wasn't as dangerous as he was in the last window. So he didn't generate a whole lot of goal scoring statistics. He his crosses were his service weren't up to his normal standards for me, but he did have some really good moments. His deflected shot. If that doesn't get deflected, I think that's a goal and we're up one Oh, I think his, his shot to generate the goal itself was also excellent. So he had some bright moments for me, but there was definitely some rust from having come back from injury. Yeah. I mean, we can't discount that his play is the reason why we scored the goal in the first place and him getting in behind the defense, taking the shot that gets deflected. Like you said, Tom, one thing that I didn't really love is that every time he got the ball, he was immediately putting his head down and trying to use the speed to beat the defender and get a cross off. There were a few times where Weston McKinney was in the channel alone. And if Wea had just picked his head up and kind of put a ball curling around his defender, we would have had a little bit better of an opportunity. And it seemed like every time he was getting the ball, the instruction was just like literally put your head down, run as fast as you can <laughs> and get to the byline to put a cross in. I think there were one or two opportunities where he probably could have done better, but that, that kept the defense honest. He was the one that was stretching the defense. We, we need to talk about Pulisic, um, but there was nobody really pushing the defensive line outside of Timothy Weah and Serginio Dust. All right, this this will hurt, yeah. but should we talk about Christian Pulisic now? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, don't, I mean, I yeah, don't think it'll hurt that to. bad. <laughs> okay. Tell us more. <laughs> well, I mean, was he... Was he, a, like, the best player on the field? No. But, you know, it seemed like... And we don't know, but it seemed like Greg's pattern on the left side was to have Pulisic sink inside so therefore Anthony could overlap it seemed like that was the pattern that they wanted to run over and over 
there I, there was just a handful of times that yeah cr- you know Christian probably held onto the ball for a little too long. He I don't want to say he's like really playing hero ball, but when he does cut into the middle, he does kind of put his head down and just dribble kind of at people. And so he needs to slow down a little bit, get his head up. But at, at right now, I'm not hitting the panic button and saying, you know, that we need to bench him yet. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. Two out of 15 on duels won, nine times possession lost. He just didn't look like himself. He looked like he was trying too hard. His body language was Gio Reyna at its worst. It was... It just didn't look like it was his night. He just didn't seem comfortable doing anything at all. And it was just frustrating to watch. Every time he got the ball, he would immediately dribble into a triple team and lose it. He would immediately press, lose the ball, get back, foul someone at three, or <laughs> he would tell him to too long and have to lay it off to the wings and something would break down. It just, nothing was working for him. He was clearly frustrated and it was just hard to watch. You you were like kind of robotic for a little bit. And then I just oh, left. These headphones. I continue. <laughs> no, it's all good. Um, I I did think it was. So in the postgame presser, again, Greg was saying how he, he wished Pulisic was pushing up higher. He didn't want him to drop inside as much. And I think we could all kind of tell that him and Jesus Pereira were trying to drop into the same spaces. Now, Anthony Robinson was going up the left side. Yunus Musa was at times playing in the left back role. It seemed like where Anthony Robinson was taking up space is where we would have wanted Christian Pulisic to be stretching the defense. And what's the point of playing positional play when there's no fluidity, you're really just making people change positions. You're having Yunus Musa play at left back, Anthony Robinson play at left wing, and Christian Pulisic drop into the midfield where Yunus Musa would have been. It didn't really make much sense to me. And uh, I do want to ask you guys, because based on Greg's comments of at halftime trying to push Pulisic higher up the field, not letting him drop as much, is that due to how Chelsea plays and what Tuchel's instructions are? Do you think that's impacting like how he naturally goes about playing? I Go think so. I, I, I just I, I noted at one point watching the game again that Pulisic <laughs> needs to leave Chelsea just because there's just no confidence. He doesn't seem to know how to play as a winger anymore. He seems to want to be playing this 10 role. He seems to be, you know, just trying to recycle possession. He doesn't seem willing to take people on, do the Pulisic things that we're used to seeing him do, at least back when he was playing under Frank Lampard at Chelsea and was looked so dangerous. Tuchel just doesn't sort of play attacking enough style that really fits the way Pulisic plays, and it clearly is affecting the tactics that he's used to. And now, I think it's affecting his confidence in his play as a winger. Yeah, and I think part of it is just he's the type of wants to be on the ball. You know, I, if recently there was an interview on Scuffed with Luca De La Torre, and he, he kind of talked about the same thing of if you're one of those players that – you always want the ball at your feet when you're not getting the ball. It really frustrates you in the middle of the game. So it, it could be a little bit of a clash between what Christian wants and what Greg wants. You know, we'll see if they're able to work that out, but it, it definitely seems like Christian wants to be more involved, even in buildup play. And so just, you know, be kind of more tied to the sideline then it's it's going to be a difficult transition for him to make. I don't know. I could see us starting Aronson there just to sort of give him time to get his head right. I don't know if that's going to be even worse for his confidence or not, though. It might make more sense to start him, just, you know, show that we still have confidence in him. It's He's in such a weird headspace, I think, that I don't really know what to do with him, whether dropping him or playing Aronson for Aronson or, you know, starting him to sort of show that we still believe in him is the right thing to do. Yeah. Is there anything you, else with um, I feel like dropping him would do more harm than good in terms of his confidence. And I still like, I'm not hitting the panic button yet. I'm more just concerned with his body language. I'm concerned that I haven't necessarily seen him go into a full sprint. Like I, I think there's something mental there that's just stopping him or blocking him from being like fully expressive of his abilities, he, whether he's trying too hard, whether he's worried about re-injury, like that there just seems to be something there that's 
holding him back to to be his full self and i don't think we necessarily need like in again this is in the best way i don't think we necessarily need him to be successful as a team like for him he can take the step back and just do what he does best because we don't need him to carry 10 michael bradleys and josie altidores we like we have champions league <laughs> players now we have players that can help him and support him i still feel like he's in that mode of like he the the soul crushing loss in kuva the the voices and chatter from chelsea fans and us fans about injuries and he's he's done he's finished he's you know not producing at the rate of timo werner kai havertz blah 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 like you can go on and on about and, and that's just me i'm not even christian pulisic imagine if you are that person and you have to deal with all of that um so I think him and Greg and maybe the council, the leadership council need to have like a very honest conversation about what's best for Pulisic and what Pulisic wants to do in the next few games. Because for me, like he's, he's bought enough grace with the team and with the fans where if he wants to keep starting, like <laughs> that's almost more his, his decision. Um, and if he wants yeah. to come on as a sub and just try and work out whatever's happening, that's also his decision as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, hopefully he'll get a lot of time off over the summer just to get right. And then, you know, hopefully get off to a good start to the season next year. That'll be what's most important. So it'll be interesting to see with the summer tournaments that we have coming up. I mean, do you take actually this little bit of time to let them rest with a full year in the World Cup coming up? So it, do you really call in all your first team guys for any of the tournaments over the summer? I mean, we'll see where we're at when we're closer to the summer, but I feel like I give my starting 11 a break. They, they've essentially been playing with COVID for two straight years, like 24 yeah. months with one or two months off. That's a lot of load on a body. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it, it makes sense to give a break. And, you know, I think that Pulisic could definitely use a lot of time on a beach somewhere. Yeah, but no no kicking fish. <laughs> just dribbling, just juggling over top of them. <laughs> we, don't need to, we don't need to bring that up for him. No. Hey, hey he's, he's no Matt Miaska. He's no Matt Miaska <laughs> kicking dogs and stuff. Um, okay. <laughs> Anyways, so should we do? Were there any other specific player performances that stood out to you guys? I I think we should probably touch on Jesus Ferreira's performance because it's gonna be the sort of hot his... topic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, go go for it. Who who else? Jedi. Uh, yeah, formerly known as Anthony, forever now <laughs> going forward known as Jedi. The moment he said that in the interview, I was like, well, yeah. he's done. like, for sure, everyone will always refer to him now as Jedi. So for anybody that hasn't seen the press conference, he he specifically said that he prefers to be referred to as Jedi. So at his request, like how... we will now forever name and call him Jedi. The, the very next reporter that asked him a question called him Anthony. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, after he was just like, he just said, it's like, really weird if you call him Anthony. Yeah. The, the other ones called him Jedi, but I just thought that was hilarious. That literally the next person after he said that called him Anthony. <laughs> who, who else, so, Ryan? Tom, I know, well, I know, Tom, you were saying that his distribution wasn't great, but I thought McKenney had a really strong performance, especially in the first half. I mean, he, on multiple occasions, so he had, he completed three of three dribbles. And on, basically on all three of those occasions was him dribbling past somebody and unlocking the El Salvador press. So I, I really thought in the first half he was bossing the game. But again, as we talked about, tactically with Greg having them play so low and so we could maintain possession and, and be a part of the buildup, you know, the things we, that we've grown to love from McKenney when he's playing with Juve is he has the freedom to play a little bit further up the field. And that's why he's always, you know, in the box to finish off those headers. So it, it, interesting payoff if for Greg is, you know, do you want – to use that part of the strength of McKenney's game and let him play a little bit higher up so he's a threat in the box. We were playing the ball out wide enough. It seemed like you would want someone like McKenney in the middle, but instead we played him so low that he, but he then bossed the midfield and was a big part of the, 
buildup, just unfortunately wasn't able to get there to crash the box. Which is there like a position that you guys would rather see him in, having him have the freedom to get a little bit more forward, or do you like from everything we saw from him in the buildup last night, he was impressive there as well. I I really liked what I saw from him last night. I do think I would rather see him a little bit higher up the field and let Eunice Musa do his thing sort of as the sort of central box-to-box midfielder. Um, just because I do think he's so much more goal dangerous than the other two midfielders, it makes sense to play him a little bit higher. I think I would have liked to see what he could have done on the left, sort of combining with Robinson and Pulisic instead of on the right. He, he did so fantastic at combining with Dest and Wea, at really unlocking El Salvador from the right. But it felt like it left the left completely disorganized. Musa, Robin, Jedi, and Pulisic really didn't have any chemistry together. So we sort of had to go through the right the entire match because we just didn't have anything going on on the left. So I would rather, I think, see him higher up the field on the left, making allowing Pulisic to push out wide and allowing Jedi to overlap both of them. So I, I, I don't know, but he was fantastic. I really liked what I saw from him. He definitely looked like he was a cut above everyone else on the field. He, he looked like he's continuing to make his claim as the best U.S. player. And yeah. he's yeah. starting to inch towards that that position. Um, Tom, you mentioned, you mentioned something really interesting. I want to talk about this really quickly is the switch from uh, left to right for Weston McKinney. In the last window, Musa was mostly employed on the right side with center midfield McKinney on the left. And that right side between Dest, Musa, Wea was so dangerous. So although McKinney did great last night, the right side looked amazing. I, I completely agree with you. It was very weird to just make the arbitrary change of switching those midfielders. The second part, um, which I think is is Ryan's question as well, is like, would I rather see McKinney higher up the field? I I like McKinney in both of the spaces. It just needs to make sense with what our game plan is. And last night, because we had such a low block for our midfielders and Jesus Ferreira wasn't a target in the box, like why, why wasn't Weston McKinney higher up the field? Weston McKinney is one of our most dangerous uh, people in the box to, to get crosses to. So once we started getting the ball out to Timothy Wea, he was putting his head down and running to the byline to get a cross in. Weston McKinney was nowhere to be found because he was the one that played Weston or played Timothy Wea in behind him or Dest. So it was just like very weird to me. I think Weston did the best that he could with his opportunities and he looked to cut above everybody else on the field. But at the same time, the strategies and tactics that we employed didn't necessarily help what we were trying to do or how we were trying to score goals. Like if he was playing as a Mazella which is a more advanced box-to-box midfielder last night, that would have been kind of perfect for, for the way that right. we were playing. But but yeah. he wasn't. I don't know. Yeah, that's, why, that's why I posed the question. Like, I, I just think it's it, it was interesting to deploy him so low, considering all the success he's had at UVA playing more up high. Yeah. Now, is that a, a reaction to how high El Salvador is pressing us? Or do you think that was kind of the original game plan? was to build out from from his position uh i'm going to assume that that's the original game plan just given what we've learned from greg is he you know he does like to micromanage down to every little detail so there's little there's little that happens out there that i think doesn't come from his instruction at least when you see people formationally lining up in in places you may think as odd that there's probably a little bit of little bit of greg in there yeah. yeah, I guess based on our previous conversation before the game, did Greg earn his paycheck in this game? Hey, of course, with the Jesus with the Jesus call, that's him earning his paycheck. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Let's I mean, I think Jesus played well, but for sure he did. Yeah. Yeah. He did. All right. Let's talk about Jedi real quick, and then um, we'll talk about Greg and his tactics, what what we liked and didn't like, and then we need to. Talk about how we're feeling going into the Canada game based on this result. So Jedi, for me at least, was my man of the match. There were a few that had good games. There were there were very few players that had poor games. I think Pulisic is obviously the one that stands out. Chris Richards was kind of like on that line between neutral and, and poor, but I think that was more to do with the ref. Jedi, for me, was just up and down the wing the entire game. 
had great defensive play, was really dangerous. Not only did he score the goal, he had another two shots that if he had placed a little bit better, probably could have been goals as well. Um, I know we're not talking about Musa right now, but that shot that he had with the outside of his foot, that was a reaction and then a crazy reaction save. I just want to mention that because I don't feel like we've talked about that enough. Um, great shot by Musa, great save by the El Salvador keeper. Um, but Jedi, man, what what a game. What a statement. I feel like this is him continuing his form that he's had with Fulham. So Fulham has scored, I think, like 18 goals in their last three games. He has goals and assists for Fulham. And yeah, he played like a man on fire last night. He was great. What I, what did Josh Sargent and Anthony Robinson have in common <laughs> over the last six months? Oh, I know this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they go ahead, Tom. Take this one. Kids. They're both new dads. <laughs> well, something to it. <laughs> it's it, it was great to see if it's the new dad energy affecting him, it's it's awesome to see we should be telling all of our kids or players to start, you know, looking for children if that's the case, what? if they're going to all start playing that well. But I, I really like the way Jedi played. I like what he does to stretch the left-hand side. He just bombs forward. I would like to see him a little, be a little bit more consistent with his service, but, you know, Jesus, for his first chance, comes from a cross that Jedi hits. He unlocked the defense. He had a line-breaking pass at one point in the first half that split two lines and found Jesus Ferreira in behind. I, he just yeah. he just was all over the field and creates the goal. I love to see it from him. He's become one of our best players and one of my favorite players to watch. Yeah, his his motor is pretty incredible. You know, we often talk about Tyler Adams being irreplaceable just because there's such a, a, a noticeable drop off of the next person. I almost feel like Anthony Robinson is putting himself in that category of he's he he's playing at such a high level for us that whoever we put in to play behind them will be a noticeable drop-off. Like, do you see, are they getting to basically like the same value as importance to the team? I agree. And it also makes me scared because of how, how intense he played and we don't have any other left backs. Like, can we mm-hmm. expect that effort for 90 minutes for like three games in seven days? It's on another window. It worries me. Not I mean, yeah, game, he's, but I he's done it playing for Fulham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he. If anyone on this roster can do it, it's him because he's used to it. The championship is insane for how fast they turn around in games. So this is nothing new for Robinson. After this game, he after this window, he should probably go on a vacation instead of going back to Fulham. But you know, he's he can do it more than anyone else. I think in our pool, going three games in a row as hard as he can. Hopefully, not tackling our star player in the process. <laughs> That was a weird play. Very weird play. The grass monster, man. Yeah, man. (laughs) There were a few of those. That's all it looked like his toe just got caught. Yeah. 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 I I was really worried someone was going to get injured. Uh, Timothy Wea had one where, like, it looked like his knee just locked straight into the ground, but he got up. So, yeah, yikes. It It was dicey there for a few of those. Because yeah, I didn't realize they had like a heated field they were talking about before the game. Yeah. The field looked pretty yeah. good, all in all, mm-hmm. we have to say, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We might have made it up a little bit too much of the weather. But Minnesota's coming in hot with negative Fahrenheit temperatures. So, Ooh. Ooh, let's go. <laughs> all right, guys. So, Greg Burhalter, let's rate his performance as a coach one, one out of 10 or <laughs> anything out of 10, one through 10. <laughs> What would you rate his uh, coaching performance for last night? I'll give him a 5.5. Teetering on six, but 5.5. I think okay. overall the the lineup was a lot of what we expected. He did hit, put his little twist on it, but you know I think that's that's it's pretty hard at this point to screw it up. I think we know who a lot of the starters are in our team at this point. So he did take his opportunity where there is a little – bit questionable on who the starter is so you know i think that takes a little bit away from it just because i think i personally would have liked to have seen peppy in there um and then as well too just the subs he made uh i i can see why you bring in acosta late in the game but also too i'm wondering at what point do we bring in luca de la torre like when does he finally get to see the field 
So some of the substitutions were, uh, you know, a little bit questionable. Like we said, where there was a noticeable drop off, just guys that are rusty, like bringing in two guys that haven't played since November is probably not the, the choice of substitutions I would have. And it made the end of the game just a little bit nervy. So overall, not terrible. I don't, I don't think he screwed anything up too, too bad, but you know, I, I don't think there was also any sort of like massive change he made at halftime or anything notable that made it a positive performance either. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard for me to rate him too low when you generate the stats that we generated last night, but I don't think I can go higher than a 6.5 just because it wasn't pretty to watch. The positioning seemed off. I mean, we just seemed to be not playing to the personnel on the field or the tactics of El Salvador. And we let a team of Salvadoran league and by the end of the game of the half, the team played in USL that El Salvador had out there. We let them hang with us through the end of the game. Mm -hmm. And, you know, no matter how good, you know, Hugo Perez is as a coach, El Salvador shouldn't be able to do that with a team of USL guys playing against a team of Champions League starters. And at some point, that was be on the manager for me. Yeah. It just feels like another one of those games where we're winning despite Greg. And that gets really scary for me once we play better teams. So with all of that said, Tom, I want to give you an opportunity to talk through some of the models now that match day nine is done and tell me why I'm an idiot for worrying still about <laughs> this team. I So my how, your level of worry at this point should be directly correlated to how important winning the group is to you. Because if you really care about winning the group, <laughs> I have bad news for you. We're not going to win the octagonal. It's just not going to happen. Uh, we have the toughest schedule remaining, and the, the numbers show that. We sort of have seen after last night, Costa Rica did us a huge favor. Brian Ruiz scored a goal late on his one positive contribution to the game uh, to give us give Costa Rica the lead over Panama and... <laughs> That really helped us out there because it separated the top three from the bottom six, bottom five, I guess. And we now have a three-horse race for third, or a three-horse race for fourth, and a top three that sort of solidified itself. We just care about seeding. Unfortunately, our schedule is the hardest of the top three left. And so we have U.S. most likely to finish in third, despite being very likely to qualify for the World Cup at this point. We can see from the table here that the positioning is pretty much set except for the top three, but the U.S. is now likely to finish below Mexico and Canada. The race for fourth will be really interesting, though. Hopefully um, we won't be a part of that. Yeah, I don't, how, I don't think we Tom, will. Yeah. How significantly does that change if we beat Canada? Oh, we're probably very likely to jump above them in the final standings. Canada is where they are because they are favored now to beat us at home. And we'll talk about that as we go through it. It just all depends on these sort of away results where the home team is always going to be favored to win the match when the when the teams are evenly rated. And now the U.S. and Canada are only separated by 60 ELO points. And Canada is going to be favored to win that game and it reflects in the numbers. Whereas if we win that match and we gain a little bit of ground on them in the ELO and we then have less difficult matches remaining. We should be a little bit more favored to finish higher in the table. Okay, so let's talk then about how some of these numbers could change uh, depending. And maybe we'll we'll use this one. Um, is this a good one to talk through? Yeah. Match day 10? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I interestingly enough, Panama's favored in theirs, but that's mainly because it's a home game. Uh, Jamaica could very easily go in there and take them down. Uh, Mexico gets four of their last five in the Azteca. So we see them highly favored to just run the table here. And Canada getting a home game is a huge deal. We're not going to talk about Honduras versus El Salvador. Honduras is now in three quarters of all simulations finishes last. And El Salvador in most of the rest, or most of them finishes seventh. So they're pretty much out of it. Um, the most interesting match left is that U.S.-Canada draw, or U.S.-Canada match there is the most interesting result I have in the simulations for this match day. Fairly even result with a big swing between the two match days, and I'm not really sure why that is. I'm also wondering about Panama versus Jamaica because in, in the mind of someone that just cares about qualifying for the World Cup, it's really about not finishing fourth or finishing above fourth. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. for us, if 
it does seem like Jamaica, they were down to 10 men. They took Mexico to the brink. They were up 1-0. They lost 2-1. Is, is Jamaica a better team than this is giving it credit for? Or is that just kind of like a new coach bounce? What do you guys think about that Panama versus Jamaica game? Panama last night did not look great. I watched that whole match. It was a slog to get through. And Jamaica could easily do it. They have the players. They've just not put it together yet. Elo, you know, is backwards looking. It doesn't necessarily take into account the players that Jamaica's called in, the fact that they have a new manager. I do think it's underrating them a little bit, especially after watching Panama play last night. They weren't bad, but they also blew a 6v1 where they didn't get a shot off against Kaylor Navas. So <laughs> I just I think it could be a situation to where Panama may be a little overrated and Jamaica a little underrated. So yeah, it'll definitely be I think a much closer game. Panama so far throughout qualifying is played a little bit above expectations. And I think, you know, their results have, have been well earned, but I just don't think a lot of people expected it when we were coming in. So if they're outpacing themselves a little bit in Jamaica, Jamaica is always one of those teams on any single given day, they can go out there and, and look like one of the best teams in CONCACAF. Uh, it's just rare that they, they get an opportunity to put it all together. So I think that'll be a really look at it, Tom, if I remember correctly, the week, the match day nine predictions, or no, there was a different chart you had that had predictions during match day nine that had us favored to win in Canada, correct? Yeah. And so, so what, that what caused that to now change? I haven't dug into the math too much, but the ma- it's based on the difference between ELO ratings between the teams. So before okay. the match, U.S. was at seven, was it 1860? ELO points and Canada was at 1785. We both won, but they won a road match by two goals and we won our home match by against a worse opponent by one goal. So we gained three points. They gained 15. They gained a whole 12 points net towards us and sort of shrunk that gap. And I guess the gap was enough to sort of flip it very slightly. Whatever is going on, okay. you know, in all the formulas apparently weighted that pretty high so maybe now let's talk about that game because canada is missing alfonso davies yusakio did test positive for covid but he's also on the roster so i assume they're just waiting until he's able to test negative and ready to go again with that last night tejon buchanan was still a menace on the right side they still have one of the best strikers in Concacaf and jonathan david kyle learn still there after our performance against el salvador What's what's your expectation going into this Canada game? Same, same as it was great. before. <laughs> I'm unwavering. <laughs> I, I lost some confidence. I, I don't know. Canada's okay. got a fearsome attack. Yusakio, I believe, made the bench last night. And if he's back, then we are... Yeah, he made the bench last night. If, we're, if he's back, we're going to face a really fearsome Canada team that we're going to have a hard time dominating the game against. They bunker so well. They conquer calf so well. They play out, and they're so lethal in transition. I just that team can beat us, and I don't know where we get goals from against them. It's probably on our bench. I'll train named Ricardo Pepe. Yeah, I'll train. <laughs> yeah. So Ryan, you're unwavering though. You still you still expecting three points. Well, again, we I, t- I talked about a little bit earlier that we were a couple inches away in the first half of being up in in the last game two nothing. And if that game does finish at three nothing, then I think the tune people are singing is is much different. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I'm I'm confident that in the next match, that you know those things can go our way. I think defensively we'll definitely be tested a lot more, obviously by Canada than we were against El Salvador. But I think our defense is up to the challenge. Uh, I think it'll come down to you know if if we do have any vulnerabilities, it probably will be if Des gets caught up field. So as long as, you know, someone like McKenney or Adams is there covering in behind him or Tim way at tracking back as well, then, you know, I, I'm confident that we can go into Canada and get three points. I mean, this is crazy to think of a team that they've improved so much over the last few years, but to, ha- to be having this conversation, even four years ago about being worried to go to Canada and get points would be crazy. And, and their team is really good, but I still maybe am, you know, remembering those times of like, we're going to Canada, we, sh- we should get three points. 
But wasn't it like three or four years ago where they spanked us in Canada? Yes. That was it the was, circuit. It That's was. what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But before that, yeah, exactly. Like Canada would that was kind be of lucky to be in of the this wheel. round of... Yeah, Canada probably wouldn't even be in this round of qualifying at this point. If it was yeah, the Canada of old. That's true. The Canada of new is definitely much better. I'm expecting two points out of this somewhere between a win and a draw. <laughs> and if I'm going to take uh, Tom's math to heart, it does actually seem like the likelier scenario is a win or a draw for the U.S. Just because uh, that's you know two two options, right? So... There's a 42% chance that Canada wins. There's a 58% chance that U.S. gets points out of this game. So I'm going to go for two. I'm going to average it out. I'm going to say a draw or a win would would be a good result for the U.S. here. A draw would be huge. It would go a long way towards qualification. Essentially, if we get a draw here and take care of business against Panama, literally all we have to do to make the world cup is beat panama or if we get a draw here get a win against honduras literally all we have to do is beat panama to make the world cup that's that's we don't need anything else craig yeah costa rica mexico those just become parties we're qualified at that point we just don't need we we just need to get a result somewhere on the road and i would like to get it done here i want nothing more than to have a party while we're watching the costa rica game and not have to worry about being in Costa Rica and needing a result. That would be uh, the best case scenario, I think, for U.S. fans. All right, guys, anything else to say on this match? No, overall, I think it was it was a, a decent result. I, you know, I think it could have gone a lot better for us, but to get out of there with three points, again, I'm going to try to focus on the positive that the end of that game was a little bit hairy, so we got through it. Be, be happy about getting three points. That's all That's all I care about. And I think we can go into Canada and do the same. Yeah. 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 I, I, you know, we, we've got a result. That's really all that matters. We can break it down however much we want. But the result, it takes, a, takes us a lot closer to Cotter than we were before last night. So all in all, I'm happy with that. And we'll see how we do on Sunday. Yep. Guys, make sure to let us know down below in the comments how you feel going into the Canada game, what you're expecting as a result thanks as always for watching make sure to like the video and subscribe as we are on now on the road to 3000 subscribers on the channel thanks everyone so much and we'll see you next time on fifa america